There is nothing like a room full of people that don't have any soul acting like they do. That's good. That's good news this morning. Uh, I also have to say, as I was, uh, as we were worshiping together, I don't, I, 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 pro- I might should apologize in advance for this, but the song we sang, "Low in the Grave He Lay," I cannot sing it now as an adult without thinking about my childhood, growing up in church. There was a moment when I was singing that song, <clears throat> and I looked over to my dad and I said, "Dad, why was he laying in gravy?" And if I've now ruined that song for you for the rest of your life and all the times you sing it in the future, I apologize. But I did not understand it as a child, but I do now understand that it is not talking about gravy, but in fact the grave and the power of that song uh, is not lost on me, even with that, that short little you know, trip down memory lane that I have to take every time that I sing it. So, uh, so let's, let's remember this morning, Christ is risen. You weren't ready for that now. I told you to be ready for that. Christ is risen. risen. Christ is risen. risen. Christ is risen. risen This is what we proclaim today. And before we start this morning, I want to ask if you would just to pray with me again uh, as we begin in God's word. Almighty God, who through the the death of your son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and through his resurrection delivered us from the power of our enemy. Grant today that we, those of us who celebrate with joy the day of Jesus' resurrection, may ourselves be raised from the death of sin by the power of your life-giving spirit. We pray this morning, Father, as we open your word together, that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand so that we might see the resurrection in a new light. We might understand its mystery more fully And love you more deeply. We pray this morning in the name of Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. And the church said, amen, amen. This morning I want to start our time in God's word together with a question. And I'm going to come back to this at the end of the sermon this morning. But I want you to think about something in your life right now. I want you just to do a quick inventory of your own life this morning, and I want you to think about something in your own life right now, in your mind, and I want you to think specifically about some area of your life uh, that feels old, feels old to you, an area maybe where you feel stuck, An er an area maybe that feels stagnant. An area that maybe feels like it's coming apart at the seams. Maybe you're experiencing a death. Maybe you're experiencing the grief from a literal death. Or maybe you're just experiencing a season that feels like death. What is that? I want you to identify that in your mind. Maybe it's an area where you've you've been unsettled. Maybe it's an area where you're kind of coasting. You've lost your passion. Maybe this could be, as you're thinking about it, something with your own life. Or it could be something to do with a relationship in your life. It could be your marriage. It could be something with your work. It could be your family or a relationship within your family. Or it could be some sort of internal struggle in your own life. And I want you to think about that because while the resurrection has to do with our future and the good news that we have eternal life and the hope that we have after this life, 
The, good, the resurrection is also good news right now for all of those situations that you and I might think about when we do that sort of internal, personal inventory of our own hearts. The resurrection is newness in the way that we understand our future, but it is also newness in the way that we think about now. And one of the primary ways, one of the primary way or claims rather that of Christianity from the very beginning in the first century after Jesus came to earth and died on the cross and was raised from the dead, one of the primary claims of Christianity is that we believe as followers of Jesus that Jesus was God. That Jesus had existed from the beginning and that he came to earth and he lived and he died. And then in his death, he, he revealed to the world what God's love is. And he showed us what God's love is like. And the extent to which God would go for us because of his love for us. And so over the weeks leading up to today, you need to know in the event that maybe you haven't been here with us, we've been in a series of sermons looking at the cross specifically and trying to fix our eyes upon the cross in an attempt to try to understand it more fully, to try to ask, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus died? Why did Jesus die? And one of the ideas that I've mentioned over the last several weeks on a couple of different occasions is that in the earliest years after Jesus had come to earth and died on the cross, and really even in some cases throughout history, the cross has been the thing that has made it hard for people to believe in Jesus. Certainly made it hard for people to believe that Jesus was God. Because God dies? That seems confusing. That seems off. Most people want their God to be mighty and to be powerful and to be victorious. And though we make those claims about Jesus, that Jesus is mighty and powerful and victorious, we don't make those claims before we first make the claim that Jesus was crucified and that he died. And that he, he did this willingly for us. And throughout history, this has been a stumbling block for many people coming to faith, understanding how could this all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God die for humanity. But what helped, what helps us and what helped certainly those earliest followers in the first century was what happened on that very first Easter morning. When the tomb was found to be empty, the story that the Davis family just read for us a minute ago, resurrection helps make sense of, it vindicates the cross. It doesn't do away with the cross. We don't run past the cross now. We understand it more clearly. To say it another way, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, you probably would have never heard of him. Because during the time that Jesus was on earth, the Roman Empire was the most powerful nation in the world, the superpower of the world. And they killed tens of thousands of people. Just let that sink in for a minute. They killed tens of thousands of people by crucifying them. And the only person's name that you know that was crucified by Rome is Jesus Christ. The resurrection helps explain and make sense of the cross. Crucifixion was the, the main way that the Roman government executed people. They, people who broke the law, people who were thieves and murderers, people who betrayed their government and tried to start insurrections. These are the kinds of people that Rome crucified. And out of all of these, Jesus' name is the only one that we know because Jesus was raised from the dead. So when the resurrection happened in those earliest years, the disciples started to rethink what they understood about the cross in light of the resurrection. And one way you see this is actually in the way that the Bible is written. 
In the New Testament, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, these four men, they give historical accounts of Jesus' life so that we know about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. They're just telling the stories. They're telling the facts. They're telling the information because they want to make sure that people know he was a real person and here's all the things that he did. And so they give us these four different versions of his life. But when you get to the book of Acts, the book that comes right after those four Gospels, and then when you look at everything, basically, that Paul writes in the, in the rest of the New Testament, all of that is written, this sort of undertone in, in Acts and in all of Paul's writing is this undertone trying to explain and make sense of and understand the resurrection story. It's written to try and help people understand why it happened the way that it did. Why did Jesus die and why did he have to die on a cross and what does all of that mean? And now that we see the resurrection and that the tomb is empty, it helps us make sense of that. And there's lots of examples of this in the Bible. We could look in a lot of different places, but we can't because we would be here for way too long. But I want to look at one place this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is not the primary place we're going to spend our time studying this morning, but I want to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth, and we're going to look at his second letter to the church in Corinth in just a second. But he says, if Christ had not been raised, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. The reason all of that matters is because Christ was raised. If only for this life... We have hope in Christ. We are, of all people, most to be pitied. Paul's saying here that Jesus' death, if Jesus' death is the end of the story, right, we're to be pitied because everything we're doing today is pointless. If all we had was the cross, then everything we would be doing today would be pointless. It would be futile. Jesus' story would just be another story, another Roman crucifixion with a sad ending. A man who gathered this group of followers but then ultimately died. And so Paul then continues. He says, but Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since death overcame, came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. <clears throat> I want you to think about what he's saying here. To explain the resurrection, Paul goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning of the Bible, the Garden of Eden, the story of Adam and Eve. And he says that back then, Adam sinned and as a result brought death into the world. Adam and Eve's decision in the garden to turn their back on God brought death and sin into the world. And as a result, in a way that might be hard to understand, but as a result, Adam's death was passed on to you. So that because Adam dies, we all die. So the fact that we don't live forever, we have to die, we have to experience death. If you're upset about that, you can blame Adam. Right? That's what Paul's saying. <clears throat> death is now a part of every human story. It's batting a thousand, a hundred percent. But Paul says, just like death was passed on to you from Adam, now, because of Jesus' resurrection, because Jesus was resurrected, because the tomb is empty, resurrection is also passed on to you. You're made alive. Jesus is just the first fruits. He's just the, the one to go first. Because just like in Adam, all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. This is just one place that Scripture talks about how to make sense of and understand the resurrection. And if you listen to what he's saying, that's a very different way of thinking about the resurrection. Right? Resurrection wasn't just something that happened to Jesus but it's also something that's happening to every one of us. This is good news. 
This is what we call good news. And it's a very different way of thinking about the resurrection, but it's a dominant way that the Bible talks about resurrection. And part of what resurrection means, that all in Christ, all will be made alive. All will be raised from the dead when the Lord returns. And again, a very common way of thinking about it. This is good news for our future, but it's actually not the sermon that I want to preach this morning because, as I've said, it's, it's not the only way that the Bible talks about the resurrection. The writers of the Bible talk about the resurrection in another way, and really the main way, I would say, that they talk about the resurrection has to do not only with your future, the fact that you will be raised, you experience death because of Adam, but you'll experience life because of Jesus. That's a true and you know, that's a true thing that we are celebrating today. But there is another way that, it ha- that the, the Bible talks about the resurrection, and in this other way has to do with your life right now. That resurrection is not just something that impacts your life when you die, but it is also something that impacts your life today, right now, before you die. And the passage that I, that I think talks maybe about this most clearly is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. But before we read... In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to just give you a little bit of quick background. We're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the middle of a larger conversation that Paul is having. This is the second letter that he's written to this church that he loves, that he knows in the city of Corinth. And really, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 and 6, he's kind of having one conversation, a larger conversation that he's trying to communicate, a larger idea that he's trying to communicate. And that idea I'm going to summarize by saying this. This is what he's wanting to say. Resurrection, I think I have a slide for this. Resurrection is not only something that Jesus does. Resurrection is something that you can experience yourself. Resurrection is not only something that Jesus does. Resurrection is something that you can experience too. In other words, Easter is not just a holiday that happens one time a year. You can live an Easter life every single day, a resurrection-shaped life every single day. That's the message that Paul is trying to communicate in these chapters. We're not going to read all of them. We're going to read a very, very short part of them right in the middle of his larger conversation that he's having. (laughs) And I can hear as you think about this, as you hear me say this, that resurrection is not only something that Jesus does, but something that you can experience too. I can hear some of you already thinking. You're thinking, Doug, wake up. Right? This is not realistic. You don't know my life. My life is hard. Easter is spring and chocolate bunnies and pastel colors and happy songs. But that isn't life. That's nobody's regular everyday life, Doug. Living a resurrection-shaped life, I want you to hear me say very clearly this morning, living an Easter life, living a resurrection-shaped life, does not mean that every day is easy. doesn't even mean that every day is happy. Living a life that is informed by the resurrection means that even on those days when you feel stuck in the tomb, resurrection is coming. That even on the days where you feel like that things are falling apart, resurrection is coming because God holds all things together. And this is why Paul can say things like what he says in the first part of this conversation in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. 
We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. <clears throat> if we live a life that is shaped by the resurrection, will every day be perfect? <clears throat> Absolutely not. Will all of our struggles stop because we just started following Jesus? Of course not. Some days life will be hard. Some weeks will be hard. Some seasons will be hard. That is the death that we experience in our bodies. But he says life is also at work in us. Resurrection is also at work in us. So yes, we experience feeling hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Yes, we have days and moments and seasons where we feel perplexed, but we're not in despair. Yes, we have moments when we feel struck down, but we will not be destroyed. <clears throat> so the resurrection informs how we live our lives now, and this is what Paul has been talking about, and this is what I want to focus on as we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to pick up in verse 14. <clears throat> he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. I want to stop there just for a second. The word compels is an interesting word that's used here. The word actually means to, like, constrain. The word means to hold tightly. It almost... It almost communicates this idea like it's squeezing, that lo Christ's love squeezes Paul. Paul says that when he's, what he's experienced in Jesus is that Jesus has this love that constrains him, compels him, urges him, almost squeezes him. He's saying that the love of Jesus gives him this new energy, which is what love does, right? It forces us to do things. Have you ever seen a couple that is new in love with each other. You know what I'm talking about? You can picture this. Like two people who, who have just fallen for each other, madly in love, right? Brand new to it. They've never experienced it before. Big, tough, strong guys will do the wildest things when they are in love, won't they? Why? Because this is love. This is, this is what love does, real love. Right? It squeezes, it compels, it forces us to do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. So two brand new people in love, they can be absolutely disgusting. Right? Goo-goo-eyed and do doting all over each other. Why? Because something has gripped them that they've never experienced before. And it's changed their life as a result. And that's essentially what Paul is saying here. He's saying that this is what Jesus' love has done for him. And the reason that Jesus' love has squeezed, urged, compelled, constrained, held him so tightly is because of this idea that he's convinced about, but I'm not sure we are convinced about. And that is that one died for all, and therefore all have died. What does he mean by that? He means that in a very real way, you died when Jesus died on the cross. This is the beauty that motivates him, that compels him. So he continues in verse 15. He says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's that resurrection happening on this side of the grave, not just after you die. He says, In a very real way, you died when Jesus died. But the reason that Jesus died for everyone was so that... 
everyone might also receive life through his resurrection. And then the hope is, Paul says, that once you have this resurrected life, you'll live your life not for yourself and for your own desires, for your own agenda, but you'll use your resurrected life, your Easter life, right now on this side of the grave, on this side of your death, to live it for Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this. He says, because Jesus Christ died and you died too, verse 16. So from now on, because of this reality that Jesus died and was raised to life and you have died and been raised to life, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. You can leave this up for just a second. From now on, he says, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. A human point of view. What, what, is that, what does that mean? A human point of view is the way that we tend to look at people. When we look at people from a human point of view, we typically judge based on what we see, right? <clears throat> what you see is what you get. We assume that whatever we see is the reality. This is the way the world works. This is the way humans treat each other generally. And Paul says, I once saw Jesus in this way too. He was a crucified criminal on a cross. I mean, that's what he is, right? From a worldly point of view, from a human point of view, without the eyes of the resurrection, he's just another number, another number along in the long line of numbers of people who were killed by Rome. A guy that got what he deserved. That's the human point of view. Someone walks by and they don't have the ability to see it. That's all they would have seen on that Good Friday. <clears throat> but then Paul says, his eyes were open because of the resurrection, so he sees it all in a new way. And he, and he says that this includes not just Jesus, but it includes the world, and it includes people. We even see people with resurrection eyes. And he goes on to explain this again in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I want, to hear, I want you to hear again, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. In the original language there, <clears throat> it literally says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. There's some other words that have been added in, in the English translation from Greek to just help it make more sense to you and help it make kind of flow more naturally in the, in the English language. But in Greek, it just says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's almost like Paul, when he's writing this, pauses for dramatic effect. If anybody is in Christ, new creation. Look, he says, open your eyes. But don't open your eyes in a normal way. Open your eyes and see with faith. See through the resurrection. See, that, see new creation in other people. See new creation in the world around you. And look at yourselves and others and see both with resurrection eyes. Look at yourself and others based not on what you see, but based on what Jesus has accomplished through his death and resurrection. Look at the world as though what Jesus did what Jesus says is true, that all old things are passing away, that everywhere you look is new creation. Even if you don't feel like it, even if it doesn't seem like it, look through the eyes of the cross and the, and the empty tomb and see the world in a new light. And then Paul goes on to explain how this happens because it seems hard, right? How, do, how am I going to do this? How am I going to look at people this way? Because 
left to myself, I'm only going to be able to look at people with my own human eyes. And so how is all this going to happen? He says in verse 18, all of this, it's not going to be from you or me. It's going to be from God. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There's a lot of words he's saying here. But I want you to hear this because it's so incredibly powerful. Reconciled is the word that that he uses here. God reconciled us back to himself through Jesus Christ. God never went anywhere. God never turned his back on you. God never turned his face away. God is the father who has been there all along. The cross and the resurrection are how far God was willing to go to bring us back. And then because of this, with our resurrected lives, God, God gives us the ministry of reconciliation so that we're now Christ, we're like ambassadors for God to go out and communicate. Let me tell you about what God has done. God's brought me from death into life. The old has passed away and the new is here. Whatever you see because of Jesus, new creation everywhere. This is the message that we speak, right? Our message is this. God is not holding your sins against you. So be reconciled to God. There is nothing that separates you from God now. You have unsurpassable worth, unsurpassable value before God. So accept your acceptance. And this is the part that I'm suggesting that we don't necessarily believe. We still think God's holding our sins against us. We're not fully convinced that Paul's right about this. Because Paul doesn't really know me. Paul doesn't really know you. Surely, surely God's still holding some things against me, right? Paul says, accept Friends, that the old is gone and that the new creation is here. This is the message that we have received from God through Christ and that God wants us to proclaim to the world around us. Paul once saw Jesus from a human point of view. And when he did, he looked like just another person on a cross. But then he says his eyes were opened and he saw something that he could not have ever seen before. He saw a spiritual truth that was not obvious with his natural eyes. that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And when you have the vision, this vision of what happened on the cross, what he says is that it filters down, it trickles down to help you see everything and everyone with new eyes. We must reframe the way that we see And think about people so that it lines up with the truth that Christ died for all and therefore all have died. And this means, here's what it practically means. It means that we look at people, at everybody, with an eye of hope. Not seeing what is, but what can be. And as we look at people around us, as we look at the world around us, It may not know that the old has passed away, so it's going to still live in that place of of being old, being an old creation. A person may not know that God 
<coughs> is reconciling them to himself through Jesus. But we have the ability to see what has already happened because of the cross and empty tomb, even if it is not yet being realized in the lives of other people. And so he's saying, as followers of Jesus, we have to work on here what's in between our ears, right? To believe it and to see it even before it becomes reality. <coughs> and then not only, excuse me, <clears throat> Not only are we to see others in light of the cross and and resurrection, I'm going to pause just a second. I had a hard week. This is off the script for a second. And I have felt all week like the week was kind of under attack, and now I'm almost convinced of it. Because I really want to say this, and I think it needs to be said, and I don't have hardly any voice left. We see what has already happened because of the cross and the empty tomb, even if it is not yet being fully realized in the lives of the world around us and the people around us. And then not only, Paul says, do we see other people in light of the cross and resurrection, but here's what I want you to hear. We also must see ourselves in this way, which can be the most difficult part. Because we too often walk around embracing lies about ourselves that keep us in bondage to that part of our old self that Jesus has said is dead. Consider yourself to be dead to that and alive to Christ. Jesus has announced new creation for all that are in Christ. And so the question is, can you look past your external failures? Can you look past all the lies that you believe about yourself and the things that you have been told or have been told about you at some point in your life, the scars that you carry, can you look past all of that, the wounds that you carry? Can you look past that and can you believe Jesus accomplished, and all that he accomplished through his death and resurrection applies to you too. That you have been included in the work of the cross. That because of Jesus, God sees you as holy, blameless, and spotless as the righteousness of God. Which is the way that Paul ends this section in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is who you are as new creation. Even on the days you don't feel like it, even on the days where you you still feel stuck in the tomb, where the relationships are struggling, where work is hard, where family is hard, where life is hard, new creation And so I asked you earlier to think about an area of your life where you would like to see God bring newness, to bring life. And this is just one way of applying this teaching, right? Is there an area where you would like to see God bring resurrection? And we want to ask this morning, 
that the Holy Spirit this morning reveal this to each one of us today. This could be something about yourself, an attitude, an addiction, a sin, sin stronghold in your life, an area in your life where you think to yourself, I'll never change. That's going to be how I always am. And you've given up hope <clears throat> because of that. Maybe your marriage, <clears throat> or maybe it's a relationship in your family or at a work situation. Maybe it's something that happened in the past. Maybe somebody that you've given up on. And what, you, what I want you to do today, the application that I want you to think about today is to submit that to God <clears throat> right now and to ask God to bring about life where only death seems possible so that you can be, believe for yourself that new creation has come and that the old has passed away. That when Christ died, you died. And that because Christ is raised, you have been raised. The sin and death that Adam passed on to us has impacted everything that we see in the world around us. This is the reason that it feels all the time like there is pain and suffering and hardship and school shootings and death and disease and war and political craziness. And like that's the reason that it seems that it, the reason it seems that way is because it is that way. It's old creation. It's death. And what God has invited us to do is to see with different eyes and to be the first. He's the first fruit for us to be the second fruit. To say, hey, what's happened to Jesus is also happening in us. Come and look at our lives and see. So that people can see a new way forward. All of these areas of life that we see are proof of the sin and the death that Adam passed on to us. But in Christ, new creation has come. And the very best evidence of this, the very best evidence that the resurrection is true, is that our lives will increasingly be shaped by the resurrection. The very best evidence that the resurrection is true is that your life will be shaped by the resurrection on this side of your death and not just something that you hope will make your life eternal after your death. You with me? And when we do this, what we're doing is that we're embracing our identity as the righteousness of God, as the new creation that God has announced that we are. This is the good news and the hope that the resurrection brings into our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that you have risen from the dead and that, that this good news is not just something that gives us hope after we die, though we believe that it does and we look forward to living forever. But today, Father, we want to focus on the other part of the reality that the resurrection impacts and that's the life that we have right now in the struggle. Though we might feel crushed and perplexed and weary that you'll help us to not give up hope, to not feel despair, but to believe that you have brought new creation, to believe that through the resurrection that we can be the righteousness of God, that we are, we are the righteousness of God. This morning I pray, Father, for all of us as we, as we consider those areas of our life that are in need of some resurrection power where we're experiencing death or a staleness, a stagnation, or experiencing loss or hurt or grief or pain, 
that we will submit and surrender those to you so that you might bring about resurrection in those situations, those relationships, those moments of our lives now, right now, while we're living in this life. We're thankful, Father, for the good news of Jesus Christ, for the hope that we have, the life that we have, because the tomb is empty. We pray, Father, your blessing upon each of us as we seek to live out resurrection in our own lives, being your ambassadors in the world around us. We pray through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus and the church said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing another song. And if you need to respond this morning, I encourage you to do that. I'll be down here. You might want to find somebody around you and just pray with them. Pray for something that God is stirring in you. Uh, this morning. If you need to do that, please do that as well. Let's respond.